0: Joining me this week on the Friday Film Club is comedian and presenter Ben Sorensen. Ben joins us all the way from Australia and has a few interesting choices to share with us. So I can't wait for you to listen. And also if you like what you hear, do check us out on Buy Me A Coffee. You can support the show with a one-off donation or become a member. Uh, We've got some awesome perks for you as well. um, So do check it out or just follow us on social, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at the Fry Film Club. And tell everyone about us. That would be great. Enjoy the show. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It is an absolute pleasure. I think I'm joining you from the future.
0: Well technically yes you are, what is it, uh, 10 hours over there? You're
1: ahead? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got some exciting stuff in store? It's amazing.
0: <laughs> Tell us a bit about yourself, uh, who are you for, for people that don't know you?
1: I am a uh, Australian comedian and host, uh, so I do a lot of live shows, a lot of comedy shows here in Australia. And uh, a bucket load of voiceover stuff as well. So all of that keeps me occupied. Although COVID did kind of uh, slow down the career prospects, cancelling all the live shows. So I don't do anywhere near as much touring. But I spend a lot of time in the studio now uh, doing a lot more voiceovers and a lot of other fun stuff like that. So, yeah, all my stuff, uh, I'm terrible about talking about Myself, uh, all of the <laughs> stuff you need is Sorensen onecom and you can stalk me in a socially appropriate way, which is always good.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, and I have to say, obviously, uh, people listening can't see it, but that is quite some office slash studio that's uh, that's behind you.
1: Yeah, it is. It's amazing. I'm very fortunate that when I locked down, because we've been in lockdown here in Melbourne for as of today, I think it's two hundred and. Five days or 208 days wow. or something like that so I'm very fortunate to have a full recording studio and green screen studio in my home so I can still do some work which is really wonderful so I'm very blessed that I have the ability and space to do that so very happy.
0: Just ruin the illusion there well, I guess it's one of those backgrounds not not your genuine office.
1: Totally everything's a green screen these days <laughs> I just uh have, It is beautiful. And incidentally, for those of you playing at home, even though you can't see it, it is amazing. And if you've seen the movie Knives Out, which is a stunning piece of work, you will notice the wonderful room where they play chess at the top. And and I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen it. But the beautiful room in the sort of attic bit there, this is another shot of the same real room. And Ah. I just love it. And this shot uh the shot that i've used as my background wasn't used in the film, so it's the same room, just mm. a different shot and it's uh it's it's wonderful and oh jeez uh the uh i can't think of the actor's name, how I met your mother yeah he um, he actually, Harris, he's so got a, of- yes uh, yeah. so he's he's done a couple of zoom calls and they've got oh yeah, great green screen background and he's gone no no that's that's my real office this is my <laughs> It's my working office, and it looks very similar to this sort of thing. Like, they've got crazy stuff like framed pictures on an arched ceiling and, you know, statues everywhere. So it's really amazing. Uh, so, yes, one day I will have a big enough office that I won't need a green screen <laughs> and studio in the same space, and I can actually have a space like that because it was really amazing. Yeah. Some of the sets that I've got in films these days, just wild.
0: Yeah, well, the beauty of green screen, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I like the old days where they actually built sets and you go, oh, wow, isn't that amazing? Someone really (laughs) built that, whereas now uh, there's so much CGI. The other, uh, you see it when they do remakes of films and you go, oh, you've just CGI'd all that, it's not real and you've sort of lost the magic of it. Like uh, Thomas the Tank Engine is a wonderful example. Uh, It's not a film, but still a really awesome piece of content. In the old days, it was models and all sorts of stuff. And then they moved to totally computer based yeah. CGI stuff for the whole thing. And it's just, it's not the same. And then in the old days, there was Masters of the Universe or He Man, uh, the cartoon series. And now they've redone Masters of the Universe, but they've kept the best of both worlds. So they've sort of enhanced it, but the quintessentially the animation style looks exactly the same except crisper and cleaner and it's wonderful so i love it when they do that
0: yeah yeah that's great and uh yeah i'll I'll check that out i can't say my knowledge of uh, kids tv remakes is is that great
1: kids tv (laughs) it's got an m rating on it
0: i mean anything that was released past 2002 is is really not something
1: I've, i've heard of okay well this is this is like old school this is like Late '80s, early '90s, huge. He-Man, She-Ra, Skeletor, he wild.
0: Man. He-Man, yeah. I used to have a He-Man toy. Masters of the Universe, I never so, watched, but I knew of. But I, I, so I'm not familiar with any of, yeah. any of the kind of remakes or, or what they're
1: doing. Well, it's on, uh, it's on uh, Netflix now in Australia. Anyway, I don't, know, I don't know if you guys got it over there as well, but it's just really nostalgically wonderful and the we were talking i mentioned before it's got an m rating on it and i think most of most of the cartoons that we watched in the 80s and sort of early 90s by today's standards probably are rated m
0: yeah yeah uh, is m a new thing or is that is that a global rating because I don't, I'm not, i am not have never heard of M in the UK.
1: Right. So I, no, no, that's uh, the uh, film classification system. I think may be different over there. Over here, M is for mature audiences or sort of 15, 15 plus.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I think it's, I think it's R over here. I'm not sure what the R stands for. But
1: R, R is R in Australia is or Australia and New Zealand is uh, restricted. So that's 18 plus. So it's got, you know, blood, gut, score, sex, nudie bits, all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. So having worked in radio and TV, when we read the broadcast standards and uh, censorship laws or guidelines that we have here, it's really interesting. So if your TV shows on, let's say past nine o'clock, you can only say the F word no more than twice in an hour or whatever. So they they really drill it down to stuff that you can and can't do. So you can go, oh, fair enough. Do I really want to use my F-bomb now or do I want to use it later? (laughs) And it's the same same with films. Like, you know, what are we showing? What are we doing? And uh, the great bit about films is if you see it in a cinema, it might be different to on a DVD. Mm -hmm. Uh, If uh, For the kids at home, that's a shiny round disc that you put in a, Uh, a machine that reads it, and then it connects to your television. Or if you're watching it on TV, or free-to-air TV, and uh, for the kids at home, that's a non-subscription service that has advertisements in it, and it it works on a linear timeline, so you have to tune in at the correct time to see it, unlike video on demand. Uh, Look at me educating the young kids. Um, (laughs) They cut bits out to based on the time that it is, so that you can actually change... The, essentially the rating of the film by taking out those bits so that you can put it on TV or you can do whatever. So it's always an adventure if you own the DVD or you've watched it in the cinemas to see which bits they've hacked out or which bits they've added in for the yeah. TV version of it. It's a fun game I like to play because I don't have a lot. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, let's jump into these questions. So bring it. let's go straight in. What is your favourite film?
1: So, at the moment, there's a story behind this, and it's a bit of a journey. So, have you, seen, uh, have you seen Cats, the movie?
0: I have seen bits of it, which is enough.
1: It's terrible. It's <laughs> yeah. so terrible. It's actually like, and, and don't stress, don't judge me, that is not my favourite film. So, anyway, <laughs> one, one weekend, because I do quite like movies and outdoor cinema and stuff like that. So, you always get a really random mix of films that are out there. So, I saw Cats, and I went, oh... That's depressing and terrible. And then I saw Rocket Man, which I really enjoyed. And then I saw Bohemian Rhapsody as well. So I think that in order to get the best out of what my favourite film is, it comes down to appreciating it with the precursor films. So first of all, watch Cats. You will be horrifically disappointed. The CGI is wonderful. Particularly in the way that they meticulously removed the assholes of every cat. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Although I am kind of pleased because I don't know how I feel about Dame Judy Dench's character in cats having an asshole or not. That's, I, I don't want to think about that. So cats, disappointing, terrible. Then move into the musical genius of Bohemian Rhapsody. And you go, oh, Queen, how good great music isn't it wonderful brilliant and then you get to my favorite film and then you pop in rocket man and it is all the magic of a live theater show all the magic of a uh, a rock concert all of the great tunes and the theater and the story and it's just mind-blowingly brilliant
0: i'm a big fan of rocket man i but i think there's obviously a connection between people who enjoy the music of Elton John and people who enjoy Rocketman, because I think it's right. very hard to like the film if you just don't like the music. But I do think it's also just a really good film. And there was that spate of, like I said, Bohemian Rhapsody being one of them, uh, of just these, these really, really strong kind of British music biopics. And uh, mm. Rocket Man was kind of the peak of that. and Taryn Egerton is also great in it, so
1: yeah i'm I'm, I'm hundred oh. percent. yes, totally. Uh, and look, I think that I think having oh i'm a, I'm a big queen fan as well. I think Freddie Mercury was just crazy brilliant. And I love the storytelling in Bohemian Rhapsody. but I feel like compared to Rocket Man, what Bohemian Rhapsody missed was that more uh theatrical component. To tie it all in, and I think that's where Rocket Man so masterfully told a relatively accurate story of Elton John and his his life, using his music and the flamboyantness of his personality throughout his life. I think that was just such a masterful move.
0: Yeah, and I also think one of the big differences between Bohemian and, and Rocket Man is that Rocket Man was. Uh, produced by elton john so the guy whose life it was about was in- incredibly hands-on in i'm assuming the the the, the storyline and just all of those kind of creative components yeah bohemian rhapsody okay yeah it's about yeah, i mean Fre-
1: freddie uh, didn't have any creative input in that at all for some reason <laughs> i don't know why
0: <laughs> exactly baffling but uh, i think that's the thing it's because it, it wasn't really about queen it was about freddie mercury and yeah, you end time. up with this film that's about Freddie, told by the people who were closest to him. So it becomes quite glorified. And there were elements that were criticized for being very out of sync and very fabricated because they probably just didn't want to insult the legacy of Freddie Mercury. Whereas Elton John had complete kind of autonomy with that because it was his story. So he could be like, yeah, yeah. tell the worst and the best and you know, throw it all in, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Elton John's attitude is really great as well in life. What are you going to do? I'm rich.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah.
1: It's brilliant. (laughs) And I think I really enjoy whether you love Elton John or not. You can appreciate that he is a, a, a wonderful entertainer, a brilliant pianist. And I think he's grown to a space where he's more okay with who he is growing through a time when it wasn't okay to be who you are
0: yeah and it's it's a it's a good story to tell and i do think you know elton uh, sometimes i think he's gone through phases where he's been known for being a bit of a diva and whatever but but kind of all of that aside you've got to say he's a he's a huge role model for um, for the lgbt qia plus community who still feel like they can't be themselves or be who they are or whatever you know Elton was going through all of that um, in such a high profile way at a time when it, it wasn't just frowned upon to not be straight it was actively actively um,
1: discouraged
0: yeah yeah so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm all for Elton I think he's I think he's great and I'm with you on Rocket Man. good film I, I also love the fact that you didn't just give me a favorite film, you gave me a uh, a whole screening kind of watch list in order to enjoy the film. So kudos for that.
1: Hey, I look. It is a a film is a, is an artwork, and I think that if we watch the artwork contextually, we can get more out of it. And I think that's the magic thing. If you go to a film festival. You know, you don't just see one film. You're immersed in topical film culture for that year. And I think that's why film festivals are so important is because it doesn't just show us, oh, here's the film that I reckon I'll like to watch. Mm. Like when you go to the cinemas and you see, you know, the big posters and all the fancy flashy things. It's more a case of going, hey, I'm going to watch films like I listen to albums. This is the shortlist for the Melbourne International Film Festival for 2021. Okay, I'm going to sit down and watch it. This is the Oscars shortlist. Okay, I'm going to watch that. Okay, so this is a snapshot of what's happening and what stories are important to tell this year. And I think when we talk about film, that contextual element there of what's happening in the world, why are we making these films, why are we telling these stories in that way, can enable us to get so much more out of that piece of work.
0: Okay, Let's kind of lower the tone a little bit because Cats, well, I think we can agree, is awful. But yep. what is your least favourite film?
1: Okay, so Cats, awful. There is one animal movie that is even worse than Cats and it is Black Sheep. <laughs> now, it's shit. Like I, It's very rare for me to stop a film halfway through and just go, I'm not going to waste another hour of my life. You know, but um, look, it's a New Zealand film about sheep. They know a lot about sheep. I thought that that would be good. But no, no, it's it's like, you know how you have B-grade horror, right? Which mm-hmm. is really, really, can be really kitsch and really awesome and really great. I'm not sure if this was meant to be a comedy or a horror film or a mockumentary or what. But I watched it and whatever the end result is, I went, nah, nah. So the concept is they're breeding killer sheep, which I, I, in itself I, sounds like a great idea for a computer, for a video game of some sort.
0: I, I have a question, though, about the whole, about this, yeah. this thing. Why? Why are they breeding killer sheep?
1: Okay. That is a very good question. And I'm pleased that you asked that question. So I, it's, I find it such a challenging So it it was actually not deliberate, but it was an experiment in genetic engineering that turns harmless sheep into bloodthirsty killers that terrorise New Zealand. So it's not like they went, hmm, do you know what sheep need? They need that killer instinct and, you know, sharp teeth and they need to eat meat and they need to do all this other stuff. No, they were mucking around with genetic engineering. And I think the idea originally came from the concept of Dolly the sheep. So the first animal to be cloned was a sheep and it was called Dolly because it was breast tissue that they, they used. So Mm -hmm. um, that's real science. Did Dolly turn out to be a murderous bloodthirsty sheep? No, Dolly was fine. A little bit chewy, but still fine. Whereas black sheep, like, ah, look, it was written by Jonathan King, also directed by Jonathan King. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would hope that he, whatever his vision for Black Sheep, he sort of achieved it.
0: This choice is interesting to me because it's, it's kind of answered a question that was raised with a previous guest. So uh, if you haven't listened to the Esme Todd interview, go and do that now. During my chat with Esme, we were talking about Zombievers, which was her least favorite film, similar kind of vein, you know, <coughs> nice animal gone bad kind of thing, you know? And um, zombie beavers. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, not a euphemism. <laughs> there's plenty of horror films which tackle <laughs> that um, if, if that's what you're after. But uh, so we, we were on the discussion of if we were to, to make a horror film about kind of animals gone bad, what would we do? And we landed on the concept of sheep, but we went a lot more local to us. We thought whales, lots of sheep there. Kind of factory yeah. malfunction and essentially the yeah. same thing but accidental and clearly from your uh answer that's not a good idea
1: and it's been done yeah yeah they've listed it i don't know if they what what jonathan planned for it to be but on imdb it's listed as uh comedy horror science fiction you know and i think i think uh, it would be interesting to talk to jonathan to go or jonathan King to go hey did you actually write that as comedy or, or did yeah. you actually write that as a horror film or was it always meant to be comedy, horror, science fiction? Or is that I, I just how like, it ended up? It, yeah.
0: I feel like the comedy thing is always just a bit of a cop-out when you've actually, you've just written a bad horror, right?
1: Totally. Totally. If it's shit, let's just call it comedy. Yeah, sure. That's <laughs> fine. Whatever. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, animals going wrong, I reckon a bloodthirsty killer duck of some sort would be would be great and the duck would have to be you know running along or waddling along which i think you know if we can turn that into something scary and i'd want it to have a little backpack as well i think ducks with little backpacks that are killers i think is uh, i think that's a really great idea
0: would the backpack just be a kind of fashion accessory or would it be critical to its killing
1: I think it should be critical to its killing. And I also think the backpack should be a My Little Pony backpack.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a good commercial tie in there. I'm sure they'd be, you know,
1: or that. a Disney princess backpack or something, you know, just yeah. something, something, lo- something that's, you know, um, that's sort of like that. And what would be in the backpack? Look, I don't know. Probably bread just for snacks on the go. And then the duck could be out there killing people trying to make little sausage sizzles, you know, bread and a bit of meat little sandwiches best of both worlds duck's really so this, happy
0: it's a very this isn't just like an accident like the duck just happens to be uh, a bit of a, a like a bit of a psycho this is a very manipulative very calculated duck
1: yeah um it would be listed as comedy horror thriller science fiction mockumentary mm. science of doco course. yeah I, but i think yeah. i think i want it to i wanted to be like the duck and this doesn't exist we're just making it up I think the duck should actually be all about an accident, giving it a bigger brain and greater consciousness, and then it consciously turning itself into a killer duck to seek revenge.
0: It it kind of gives me some sort of child's play vibes, you know,
1: the whole Chucky Yes, yes, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm down with that. I think that's a great idea. And then, you know, you could have, um, you thought it was safe to come out of the water, killer duck, like blood off a duck's back, you know, or something like that. Like that, yeah. you know, I could yeah. just see that. That'd be brilliant.
0: The concept is really brilliant. Shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is actually. It is is. I'm available like, yeah. as an executive producer on any, any projects that people have out there, you know, with great ideas like this.
0: Well, yeah, I think you've really pitched yourself quite well there. So
1: yeah, I, th- I think so too. We'll be winning rotten tomatoes in no time.
0: Oh, absolutely. Next question for you. Uh, which film or TV character
1: do you relate to the most? You know, when I, when I looked at the questions, I thought, ah, Rick Sanchez from uh, Rick and Morty. And yeah. I just, look, not every part of his personality, there's some pretty toxic bits there. But, you know, just, just the concept of, look, I like science, I don't have time for fools, and I just really don't like small and hand-holding, dumb people. yeah so that's that's the part that i go all right let's just cut through it and be real and he's insanely broken insanely broken with more trauma than than most people uh can ever dream of but he seems to piece it together quite well so At,
0: at what at what point did you first watch Rick and Morty and think, yeah, I this, this guy, I relate to that.
1: Look, it was the first season. I think the first season of Rick and Morty was actually the best. I think it's mm-hmm. sort of been watered down for a larger homogenous audience after it gained popularity. So the first season, I've just gone, wow, this guy's a straight shooter and fuck's given none, <laughs> or duck's given none, rather. So I think, yeah, I think it was that, that first season that I've gone, okay, well, he's has a dysfunctional family. He's got plenty of giant mistakes that he's made and he's still getting up every morning going, ah, what am I going to do today? You know, I I love that. I love that.
0: I think then kind of moving swiftly on in the same vein, what genre would your biopic be and who would play you?
1: Okay. Much like the duck duck concept that we explored before, I started working on this just, just as a thought piece. Going, okay, well, what would I want? Because I thought about adding, it's such a good question. I thought that I would add that into my will, just in case anything happens if people wanted. Yeah. You know, it's not, I think wills are more about my, you know, making sure that my legacy continues, whatever that is. Of course. Uh, At the moment, it's just drinking beer and eating chips on the couch, but that's an important (laughs) legacy, particularly in lockdown. So I'm, I'm thinking sort of a mockumentary feel to it with being John Malkovich vibes. Yep. So John Malkovich I think is a dead set genius. I mean he's he's just wonderful to watch as an artist. I would want the film to be I think I think the magic thing about the film is I don't want it to feature me at all. So I don't want me to be seen as a, you know, as a kid and now as a teenager and as an adult. No. No. The whole concept of this is to view the world through my eyes. So you see the people in my life, and you see the people I see, and then the 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 work that I do, and the places I go. But it's all as if you're looking out through my eyes. So that's the bit that I think will be really, really interesting because we see people with uh, that are neurodivergent view the world very differently. So I think it would be a great opportunity to show what a neurodivergent brain sees and how a neurodivergent brain over time learns the world outside of its own head. And I would want it to be adapted for film by Ricky Gervais because he did such a great job with Afterlife and Extras and, 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 and. And I, I think he's very intelligent, very funny and totally out of my price range. So in this dreamland, I think that's a great idea. I just think that, that would be such a wonderful such a wonderful tool and such a a, a wonderful piece to put together
0: yeah an incredible answer incredible answer uh, very very out there but i love i love the idea of that kind of through the eyes being john malkovich style which which makes me wonder what what would be kind of the, the highlight of the of the the narrative? What what would be the big moments? Is there anything anything that really stands yeah. out to you as being the center point?
1: Totally, totally. When I die <laughs> <laughs> and fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting uh, I, that. You know, I think I think that's a good thing. Look, Are I you- think I think this. I think the standout moments would be the uh like awakening moment so um, when you, neurodivergent people particularly if you have a struggle with social skills you'll always be surprised something's always going to go just come up and go boom and you go holy crap i read that whole situation totally wrong and i had no idea and all this extra stuff's happening that was outside of my awareness and now i've gone oh no what's happening so as a neurodivergent person you always try and preemptively look out for those things because you know it's hap- you know it's going to happen because you just don't have the conscious energy to be aware of all of those things simultaneously in multiple settings. So I think that those moments where you're totally sideswiped and knocked off your feet and gone, whoa, that's not what I thought would be, that would be it. And there are plenty of them in every neurodivergent person's life
0: it would be a great story to tell. I think, you know, biopic aside, I think that would be a, a really, a really interesting perspective for a kind of point of view film. But if you are able to script your death, what, what would happen?
1: Oh, I don't know. I'd probably lead this really wild and exciting life, like Walter Mitty, and just sort of go everywhere and do everything. <laughs> and then finally, be taken out by a popcorn kernel I choked on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or something really mundane and simple, and you go, yeah. what,
0: really? That's crazy. No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that is, oh, my that's God, crazy. you choked on a salmon bone? Really? <laughs> yeah, I love that.
0: Do you know what? I once nearly choked on a hot dog, uh, thanks to my wife uh, giving me the uh, Again, what
1: a euphemism
0: no no definitely not a euphemism and it was it was a very literal piece of hot dog and in in the moment that i started choking i did i genuinely thought this is the single most ridiculous way to die like because because of just how mundane and not interesting it is that and i i quite i sort of took some solace in the fact that if this is the end for me my wife is going to have to stand up in front of everyone and say he died choking on a hot dog.
1: I hope your wife has a sense of humour and at <laughs> the wake, she would serve hot dogs.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would expect nothing less, to be honest.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And look, I, I've been up for a lot of awards in my life and the last award I'd like to win is a Darwin. Remembered forever. I mean, sure, Nobel Prize. Yeah, you get some bucks for that. Yeah, and like a small group of people might remember you from for making a, a, a huge contribution to mankind or something. Or you can go in a stupid way, win a Darwin Award and immortalised forever.
0: Exactly. Life goals. Or death goals, as it were.
1: Um, death goals.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, what is your guilty pleasure?
1: Oh, look, as far as... So there's there's two things, and they actually kind of go hand in hand, weirdly. And I've sort of understood and developed this a bit more through lockdown here. Uh, And it is Princess Bride, amazing film, really daggy, just the right amount of daggy (laughs) and cross-stitching at the same time. So, look, kids, therapy is really expensive. So if you get cross-stitch out, you can stab something a thousand times and not go to jail. So, if you can do that cathartically and then watch Princess Bride at the same time. (laughs) And if you're lucky, you might die choking on a popcorn kernel. So, the disappointing thing about Princess Bride, though, there is one disappointing thing, is there was talk that they were going to remake it. And for me, I've just gone, don't touch it. (laughs) Just do not touch it. It is perfect how it is. Don't wreck it. You know, I mean, where are you going to get it? Where are you going to get a giant from? You know? Where are you going to get a warm, loving giant like that? You know, you're, not, you're not going to do it. not going to do it. and you're going to wreck it the next time you do it. It's just no. No, absolutely. And there was, there was no spin-offs. Uh, and for the kids at home, that's what happened when uh, late stage capitalism wasn't a thing. You actually had complete, really good stories and complete movies, and they didn't need to be like, you know, Rocky 47 or Toy Story 111. You know, you could just have one movie, and Princess Bride was like that. Start to finish, one film. Love it. And
0: moving on, because obviously I've seen your answers in advance. What is your most nostalgic film?
1: Princess Bride. (laughs) Maybe I killed too many brain cells and that's all I can remember. Who knows? Maybe I've blacked it out because of trauma, hence the Rick Sanchez quote. So I think Princess Bride, like... I watched that, you know, you used to have, uh, again, back in the dark ages. I'm only 38, but I feel like with COVID, everyone feels a lot older. So you knew it was going to be a good day at school when they wheeled in that giant TV on the stand. And you went, yes, yeah. watching a movie. Yeah, sure, I could learn something and that could be terrible. But sometimes it was good. Princess Bride was one of those things that we watched. And it was just great. You know, and as an adult, I went through a stage where I sort of didn't think about it much and didn't watch it much. But now it's just, it has so many values in it that we aspire to. And it shows so many decisions that are made that aren't black and white. They're sort of shades of grey in between. Not 50 shades, but shades of grey in between. And I think that that's, that's why it's nostalgic and that's why I love it because it's... It's not gory. There's no like sharp edge to it or anything. But it it's you know, it's like what Aesop's fables are to the Bible. So the Bible, not a huge fan of religion. And as far as works of fiction go, it's yeah, it's a pretty good read. But there's a lot there's a lot of, you know, blood and gore and smash your kid's head against rocks and turn to stone and you know, cranky pants, God. Whereas you look at the values that we try to extract from that book. And then we look at Aesop's fables. Now we don't even know what Aesop actually wrote, you know, if it was that, but these are the fables that are attributed to Aesop. So they have the same sort of values in them. And sure, there's some, there's some sharp edges there, but it's mainly told through uh, stories of, you know, of interactions between animals and you know shorter stories so no one no one went to war and killed another race of people over aesop's fables there was no crusades over aesop's fables there was no you know uh, systemic oppression over 2000 years over aesop's fables but we still have the opportunity to learn all of those great lessons so i see princess bride as being that equivalent is going we can still learn some really great lessons we can work together, we can be together with people, we can enjoy the process, and then walk away with something something to think about to make our lives better. And that is the essence of The Princess Bride.
0: That is probably the single best pitch for The Princess Bride I've ever
1: had. I'm very passionate about it.
0: <laughs> I have to say, it's definitely one of those films, I don't think it's ever revealed as much of a classic, but it's definitely one of those, uh, I think it's a lot of people's, you know, guilty pleasures. And... It's, it's just one I've never gotten around to seeing. So it's, it's definitely on my watch list. And after that kind of compelling argument, it's going to be bumped right up there. Great recommendation.
1: Definitely. Totally unrelated question. So when you, when you send this through and you, you've interviewed a few people, I can see, and you've done some really cracking episodes too. So when I say, you say guilty pleasure, how many people actually put Pornhub there?
0: Um, so far, none. Though, I, I, you know, I think for, for many, it's probably a close second.
1: <laughs> so, but you know, it's, still, yeah, it's still taboo,
0: isn't it? So, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very different film work. Very different <laughs> film work.
0: But I very much appreciate your choices today. It's been it's been a great chat. And if people didn't want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you?
1: Uh, ben Sorensen won on all the socials, uh simply because some other bastard took Ben Sorensen. So <laughs> <laughs> I took Ben Sorensen one. <laughs> yep, that'll teach him. Uh and the website is ben sorenson1.com. Uh as far as the online shows go, we're doing heaps of them. And we'll get back to face-to-face shows and videos and all the other cool stuff that uh that I normally do. But for everything, me head to bensorenton1.com and uh, make sure you reach out because I'd love to make some new friends from all over the place.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Ben. It's been a good chat with you and uh, I'll leave you to get on with your show.
1: Absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity too. I just don't get enough uh, space in my world or opportunity in my world to talk about film and the amazing filmmakers that that are out there. And It was just really wonderful to have such an educated conversation with you, Liam. So thank you so much.
0: That's it for this week of the Friday Film Club. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can rate and review us on all good podcast platforms. Also, uh, do reach out to us on social media at the Fry Film Club on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to be a guest in a future episode, do drop us a message on social media or email liam at hefcorp.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the first season of the Friday Film Club. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, We are busy planning for season two, and that's going to be coming early next year. So do keep your ears out for that. We're lining up some great guests. And uh, of course, if you've got any feedback, do let us know. Uh, We want you to enjoy what you hear. Uh, And also uh, remember before season two starts to tell everyone about the show. Follow us on social at the Fry Film Club. And leave a review and a rating uh, so others can find us as well. Uh, That would be great. Enjoy your Christmas and your New Year, and we will see you on the other side.